open it to Song of Solomon or Song of Songs all the way back in the Old Testament as we continue our six-week teaching series called Awaken Love, and we are addressing all kinds of relational issues, dating issues, marriage issues, marital conflict. We'll even be addressing sex here in a couple of weeks. And there will be a couple weeks of the series that are PG-13. This morning is PG, so you're good to go. But we will give you a heads up when it's going to be PG-13. We have a stellar uh, kids ministry. I encourage you those weeks, be sure and check the kids ministry out. But uh, as we got people at mercyroad.tv and on Facebook Live right now, I encourage you. You usually are told to turn your cell phone off. Get that smartphone out for just a second, your iPhone or your Android, and share. If you go to our Mercy Road Facebook page, this is going out live on Facebook right now. Encourage you to share this on Facebook for those in your sphere of influence that they may connect online as well. Just one more uh, use of technology we want to use to connect people to Jesus. Here's the thing. If you're new to Song of Solomon, uh, we believe that it was written or at least passed down from Solomon, who was the king of Israel, considered to be the wisest man in Israelite history. Now, some of you have caught on that just because he is the wisest man in, in Israelite history does not mean that he is the uh, one without sin, right? I mean, he had 700 wives. He had all kinds of problems going on in his life. And, and because of the sin of his father and he followed the same sinful ways, they had a real problem with relationships. And eventually, Solomon's own kids will try and kill him and take over the throne. Like, we can't make that stuff up. This is like, a, you know, a TV soap opera. Like, it's actually happening in Song of Solomon. However, they are uh, singing songs to one another, this poetry. It's an interesting form of writing that we find in the Old Testament. And so if you were with us last week, we said that we were discussing, if you want to awaken love in your life, here are some things that you should have healthy views of attraction this Sunday, we're going to be talking about, not that I want to awaken love, but now I want to pursue love. There is a difference, right? Like saying that you desire something, but then actually pursuing it is something entirely different. Now, some of you are out there, you're like, dude, uh, I've been uh, in the dating world, and I've been hurt, and I've been broken. Uh, many people throughout the services this morning will have experienced broken relationships, some of them divorced, and it's like, why would I ever want to mess with this area of my life again? Or for others of you, God may have wired you in a way where being single is a great and powerful thing in your life. And I want to tell you that another human being is not the one who completes you. Jerry Maguire got it all wrong. It wasn't even him. It's Cuba Gooding Jr., right? Like, they got it all wrong. In fact, it's only biblically God who is supposed to fill the void in your life. And even though Adam was given Eve, right, because it was not good for a man, human beings, to be alone, that was not just for uh, sexual or dating or, or marriage desires, that was for companionship. And you can have some great Christian companionship without dating or being married, right? So I just want to share that because this morning as we talk about I want to pursue love, you may be sitting there and saying, I don't want to do that. That's okay. That's not what completes you in this lifetime. However, being open to human relationships is a good thing. 
And so when we get into this in a little bit, I'm going to come back to that, I think, about the third point. And I got so many points this morning, we might as well dive into it. Here we go. The question I want to ask you is you say, I want to pursue dating or I want to pursue love in my life is how do you have a healthy dating life this morning? How do you have a healthy dating life? Um, In fact, I would argue that this is an area where we get our tips, fellas, ladies. We get our tips of what love looks like, what dating looks like from all the wrong places. We get it from The Bachelor. Let's just be honest for just a second. The Bachelor is one dude with a whole lot of lovely looking ladies. Would you agree? And they're all, he's not having to pursue any of them. They're all pursuing him. That's exactly what the world is like, isn't it? Uh, Fellas, those of you single guys out there, you just have them flocking to you for no apparent reason other than they want to get famous on a TV show, right? And then you can switch it around. It's not just The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. The same way, we need to stop getting our uh, ability to determine whether it's a good thing to pursue dating, just of whether you swipe left or you swipe right on a given image, Amen. That's a Tinder app in case some of you weren't aware. I don't think that's great dating policies and healthy practices to get. The Bible actually offers a lot more than that. We're going to use Song of Solomon chapter 2 as a launching pad to the rest of Scripture to talk about dating and what healthy lessons we can learn. Here we go. Song of Solomon chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. You guys ready to study God's word? 9 a.m. Here's verse 1. I am a rose of Sharon. A lily of the valleys. Now remember, there's this playful banter that's going on in song. It's she will sing and then he will sing. And sometimes their friends chime in, which is really weird, but it happens anyway. And so she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. He responds, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. She comes back. It gets fruitful here in a second. Like an apple tree. Among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples for I am faint with love. Ladies, she has fallen head over heels for this guy. Now we're going to talk a little bit later. It almost causes them some problems once again in this chapter. Uh, But she is falling for him. It goes on and it says, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Will you pray with me? God, again, we just pause and we acknowledge your presence here. And when it comes to this area of our lives, we all bring entirely different context to this place. Some of us, uh, we are very happy being single. Some of us, we are looking and we are dating and we are sometimes doing it in all the wrong ways. Some of us, we have tried and we've honored you in our dating lives and it still hasn't worked out the way we had hoped. Some of us, we are married here and we need to learn how to continually date our spouses. Some of us, God, have come from broken relationships and there's so much hurt and pain that to even discuss this is just a hard thing for us to do. And then some of us, God, we love every minute of this. Like, we desire this so much. So wherever we're at, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us, encourage us this morning, challenge us, 
May you spiritually change us as a community and as individuals. May we honor you in this area of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. Does it ever take you a while to realize something in your life is just wrong? Like you've been doing it wrong, like you're a slow learner. Raise your hand if there's a few of you out there that are honest this morning. This happens to me all the time. In fact, I can remember uh, I was a young pastor. I had just started in ministry. I was a junior high pastor. That did not last long in my life. And this junior high pastor, boy who was in the the youth ministry, his parents invited me over for dinner. So I came to their house and they were, they were a lot of, this family was super fun. Four boys. Um, they, they owned a lot of guns and other fun stuff that they would do. I was living in Southern California at the time. If you've never been to Southern California, there are a lot of people who live there like a lot of them, like 24 million, and there are a lot of homes. And so this family that uh, grew up going to Montana, shooting guns and doing all kinds of crazy stuff together, they said, hey, we just put some new sod in the backyard, and there's a raccoon that once it turns dark, keeps coming out here and ripping the sod out of the backyard. I was like, that sounds like you have a problem. They said, would you stay up with our uh, 11-year-old son, And we're going to give him a gun. And when it gets dark, we want you to let him shoot the raccoon without killing himself. I was like, why don't you do that? I don't want to do that. But it sounded fun to me. So I was like, okay, we'll do this. We waited. It gets dark. I was like, there's not going to be a raccoon. A raccoon came out. And here's this 11-year-old kid with a gun, and I, Luke, who's going to preach next uh, service, the next gen pastor in the back, he is a gun guy. He, he's all into I'm not into the gun thing. I don't even know really how to do it. I, you pull a trigger, I get it. But like, I don't really get the mechanics of it. So I'm sitting there with an 11-year-old kid who's got a gun in his hand, and there's million-dollar homes in the hills of Southern California behind him, and he's about to shoot a raccoon. And all of a sudden, it hit me. This is a really bad idea. I don't know why I didn't realize it until that moment, but I said, uh, this kid's name was Dylan. Dylan, we're not going to do this. Do not shoot that poor animal. And I made him take the gun. I'm such a bad youth pastor. I was no fun. I didn't last long. I said, take the gun and go put it in the house before you harm some one. Some of us, and I promise you there's a point to that story. Some of us in our dating lives, it, you go with it for a while and you date a certain way and you pursue people a certain way and you allow people to pursue you a certain way. And when it comes down to it, maybe this morning, some of you wake up and you've been doing it a certain way for a while and you finally realize this is a really bad idea. It's causing me a lot of pain. I probably shouldn't do this anymore. And I found as Christians, many times, we just don't know what the Bible has to say about it. We've never been instructed by our Heavenly Father how to honor him in this area of our lives. In fact, it's like this. Like, I can remember uh, the first date I ever went on, my, I, my parents had to drive me because I wasn't old enough to drive, which is a lot of fun to go on a date with your parents driving. But we pulled up to the house and the, the girl was coming out of the front door of her house, and my dad said, hey, get up and go to the door and uh, get the car door for her when she comes in. 
said, I'm not doing that. She can get her own door. My dad about ripped me a new one right there in the car. She said, you're going to get out of here right now. And I learned very quickly that was not appropriate to treat a woman like that. For some of us this morning, as we realize we've been getting it wrong, we need to stop pulling the trigger in the ways that is harming us and instead say, what is the good instruction we can learn from our Heavenly Father about how to have healthy dating practices? And so I am going to give you like enough information in the next 20 minutes that some of you, your mind's just gonna, it's gonna blow up and you're gonna have to go back and watch this later. But if you take notes, I promise you it will help you this morning. Get that iPad out, your phone out, your pen out. There's a pen in front of you in the book rack. If you have like a photographic memory, we're cool. Here's the thing. If you say, I want to pursue dating from Song of Solomon chapter two and the rest of scripture, I wanna give you five healthy lessons and look, I didn't write uh, some of the scripture. This isn't, I, I am not the romantic um, uh, relationship guru. I don't claim to be up here and tell you I'm a marriage and family therapist. I, I believe in teaching the scriptures. And so that's what I want to do to you. And I find five lessons on dating that I want to share with you. And the first one is this. Some of you, men and women, you need to hear this. Know your value. Know your value that you were created by God for a purpose and a plan. Just like we dedicated Penelope. And it is a, a lot more important and significant than just what type of dating relationships you have. If you wake up every day and say, I gotta find that someone in order to be happy, when you get married someday, you will probably still be unhappy because you haven't learned the most important thing that you are valuable just as you are. You were created by the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth that knitted you together in your mother's womb that knows every hair on your head. You were not here by mistake. No matter what a man or a woman tells you, you were perfect in God's eyes. In verse one, the woman who was second guessing herself a lot in chapter one is beginning to learn some of her value. And when she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of a valley, it's, it's not just the lily wasn't that significant, but to say that she was a rose of Sharon was saying that she was a set apart. She was important. And in verse two, the man will actually speak that back to her fellas. They will actually speak that back to her to confirm that, that she is valuable. I've seen so many people, Christians, strong Christians, who study the Bible, who pray, who go to church, who worship God, who go to their missional community, their outpost. And they have no idea of the value of their life. And we walk through so many insecurities and we read books and magazines and we watch TV shows and, and movies and listen to music that it encourages a demeaning attitude to the value of one life over another. As if the only thing that you have of value is something that could be taken from you. We have insecurities over our image and our looks, over our character, over our intelligence, over our spiritual aptitude, how spiritual we feel like we are. And we go through life with these insecurities and it causes all kinds of problems. Women, I've, I've seen this so many times where God has created you and loves you just as you are. And, and it's not just women, we'll talk to the guys too, but we can find our value only in whether another ma a man loves us back or fellas, whether or not you can get that woman to like you. Your value is not found in that 
person. And if you don't learn that, it will never, you will never uh, not just have a good dating life. You're going to miss out on the most important thing in your life. That you only get so much time to use your time, talents, and treasures to make an impact with the life that you have been given. You're going to spend all your time worrying about who likes who and whether you're going to have happiness in a certain way or not. Rather than find your joy in Christ first, it'll change everything. And I, and I think it's when you get to verses 3 to 7, you'll see in this passage that as he speaks that back to her and as she learns her value, I would argue that they begin to learn some healthier healthier ways of showing their affection for one another in their dating life. Next week, Pastor Darren's going to be here. We're going to look at when it's time to make a commitment or not. They're going to get married next week in chapter three. In chapter one, we talked about there was some uh, sexual temptation going on. And in chapter two, while that is still a reality, they're beginning to show some healthy ways of honoring each other in their dating life. Verse three said, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest of my beloved young men, she speaks it back to him. She loves to be with him. Verse four, let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, things that were uh, delicacies, that they were to have fresh fruit, that you would be able to have those sorts of things that he is honoring her. And then verse six, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. They are now cuddling. I didn't put it in there. Don't be mad at me. They are now cuddling. Now, here's the interesting thing. I don't believe, at least, that this leads to anything beyond that at this point. They are trying to find some uh, natural affection. Now, for those of you in the dating world, you know that at that point, that's when things get difficult. It's going to get difficult for them as well. We're going to address that. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles. Oh, man, now it's about to get serious. And by the does of the field... And she says this, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. There is a time and a place for it. And here it says it right here in this key verse, almost as if she's acknowledging now that they are cuddling, guys, you got to be careful. Because when you begin to fall for somebody, the physical affection can follow next and it can cause you long-term issues, not just in that relationship, but with your future husband or wife. And so the second point, if you're taking notes, is do not awaken love. I thought this whole thing was about awakening love. Like some of you, you need to hear that verse seven there and admit that there, uh, you are struggling. You love to awaken love. You're awakening love all the time. You wake up every day, I can't wait to wake in love. Where is my girlfriend? Where is my boyfriend? And, and it is causing all kinds of temptations and issues. And you've been in that cuddling situation. And before you know it, it has led to problems in your life. She doesn't find your value in that other man anymore. And she says, uh, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Wait for that time. And they're going to get married in this next uh, chapter next week as we look at that. But it begs the question, and some of you who have been Christian for decades, you're going to like cringe at this question because you're like, this is such a silly question. Why even got to go over it? I didn't really grow up with friends who like were really strong Christians. And if that was you, you know that this next question is really important because we love to justify anything that we can in our lives. If you're out there and you are dating and you want to know how far is too far with uh, somebody that you are dating when it comes to physical affection, and again, this is PG this week. I'm only going to read some scripture passages and give you a, a short response for the sake of time. 
But the Bible is very clear, I believe, on this, that anytime lust enters the picture, that that's when sin begins to come in. And we're going to talk about that at the very end of this morning's message. But First Timothy, I always point to this verse, and it's kind of weird, and you can call me out and say this is complete, uh, t- completely taken out of context. I'm cool. I can take it. But here's what First Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Ladies, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, fellas, and Fellas, younger women as sisters with what? Absolute purity. And so when I used to work with young adults, I would tell them, how far is too far? Well, first of all, you don't know if you're going to end up marrying that person. And so if you want to live according to 1 Timothy, how far is too far when it comes to living with absolute purity? The question you got to ask is, well, fellas, how far would you go with your sister? Ah! Ladies, it said treat younger men like your brothers. How far are you going? Like, that's creepy, isn't it? Um, Unless you, I won't even go off. I could have said something really bad there, but I'm going to stop myself before I get into dangerous territory. Here's what I want to share with you. Now, you might think that's legalistic, and I'm not here to tell you to be some prude or whatever, but what I am saying is you're going to save yourself some baggage later if you begin to honor God in your life. Now, that doesn't mean for the Christians who honor God in their sex lives before they get married, that once they get married, now that's going to be real easy. It's still, you, gotta, you just have less troubles that you have to deal with, right? But the reality is that the Bible is very clear in the Jewish culture, this was a very important and significant thing, uh, that, that when lust enters, that's when sin enters. And I would argue that includes uh, premarital sex, including in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Sexually immoral there, the word that is used throughout the New Testament is porneo, the root of it is, and porneo means means lust. It's, it's, it's any sexual immorality that we have. It includes premarital uh, sex. And so for that, that matter, anytime lust enters the picture, that sexual immorality, porneo, can enter in. And the idea that within the Jewish culture, because you hear people say this sometimes, that within the Jewish culture, that would not include premarital stuff, you did not understand the Jewish society. And later on, um, week four, I'm going to get into some of the details of it when it's PG-13. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no chance uh, that did not include that. It says it again in Ephesians chapter five, verse three. But among you, there must not be even a hint of porneo, a hint of sexual immorality, which, by the way, is where we get the word pornography from, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, not even a hint I heard Eric share this the other way, and it's weird how this uh, worked out in my life. Uh, I'll share this for some of the young adults in the room. This is really important. If you're a teenager or you're uh, in your 20s or early 30s, and you're, this is a big thing in your life. I want to tell you that like, I, this was something before I really gave my life to Christ was always a real, it was an issue in my life. And when, uh, like Eric shared a few weeks ago, when I came to follow Jesus, I, I didn't date really for like four years Um, which for some of you, like, that's an eternity. I could never do that. God needed to work out some of the bad habits that I had developed. 
And some of you, you may not need to be uh, single for another four years, and maybe you've been honoring God for a long time, and it it just hasn't happened yet. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking if you have not been doing that, you may need to work out some of the issues that you have developed of bad habits over time in your life. And for you, that verse 7, do not arouse or awaken love until those desires, it's not right now. You need to work some, some kinks out. Now, for those of you who are single, I told you that we would come back and you are happy where you are. We need to stop thinking of singleness as if it's some kind of disease, right? Singleness is not a disease you need to get rid of, but a part of life you need to embrace. I always tell people, own where you are, right? For the married people that go on and on and on about how the problems in their marriages, look, I get it. Seek wise Christian counseling. Go to a Christian marriage and family therapist. We'll pay for the first four sessions. Go to significant marriage seminar. We've got another one coming up in June, I think. Like, take those steps. We'll even help you get to a crisis marriage seminar in different parts around the country. We've done that for many couples here. Take it seriously. But own the season of life that you're in. Right? That's why in other places it will, will tell you to enjoy the wife of your youth. Like own the season that you actually are married. You have, you have companionship. If you are single, it's not a disease. Own the, the place in life you're at. You, you have some uh, freedoms that you won't have later on, right? That's why Paul actually chooses singleness over getting married because he can use more of his time and energy to invest into people, into relationships, to see God use his life more. And so own where you are. Enjoy the good parts of it. And for many of us, we can just focus on the bad parts of it. And for some of us then to learn, okay, if I'm owning that season, but I keep developing these unhealthy things, know that you can change. Be patient and become the person you're looking for. Like if you're not finding your value in him, if if you are, if you are uh, awakening love before it so desires and you are causing issues in your life, I want to encourage you, own the season that you're in and be patient becoming the person you're looking for. So here's the thing. I, I've done this for about 10 years and I've boiled down for me. These are my five things. These don't have to be yours. You could look at a lot of other things in scripture. But when it comes to dating, I feel like if you're like, okay, I want to own it, I want to begin to date healthy, I want to change my dating habits, I've realized I've been, <laughs> this way I've been doing it was a bad idea. I am not the bachelor or the bachelorette. I'm going to start changing some things. Here are the five non-negotiables of dating. Stay with me because we're going to put them real quick. Number one, leave this up for a while, okay, because I'm going to do it quick. The five non-negotiables, that they're Christian that they water the camels. We talked about that last week and listened to last week's message, which is basically that they actually serve people and not just themselves. That they're attractive to you. Look, they don't have to be like Giselle and Tom Brady, right? And thank the Lord that we don't all have to follow Patriots fans. But, like, they don't have to be that hot. But if they are attractive to you, that is significant. Who wants to be married to somebody the rest of their life that isn't attracted to them? Like, they should be attractive to you. Number four, other people see the good in them. If everyone in your family and friends who you believe knows the Lord is telling you this is a really bad idea, you should probably listen. Go put the gun back in the house and remember this is a really bad idea. Number five, that they're actually loving. If they can't show love and affection for another person, marriage is going to be a very difficult thing, not just physical love and affection, 
but any intimacy in their lives. Number uh, four overall, if you're taking notes of the five healthy lessons on dating, I told you we'd do those really quickly. We can post that on the Facebook page afterwards if you didn't get all those written down, but I got to share this in the time I got. Number four, um, I'm going to get sexist for just a moment and forgive me. I think you'll see why I'm doing this. I want to talk to the men. Men, we need to take some initiative. And I will be the first to admit that uh, this is a continual lesson in my life. And sometimes I do it well and sometimes I fail at this. But look at verses 8 to 13 with me. The guy says, listen, my beloved, look, behold, here he comes leaping across the mountains. I'm sorry, the woman is speaking now. Bounding over the hills, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall. This is where it gets creepy. I don't know if it's like a peeping Tom thing or what's going on here. Gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice, my beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. He's inviting her. Come on. He's pursuing her. I don't know about the creepy window thing, but other than that, because you're going to go to jail for that, and you should. But beyond that, like he is pursuing her in uh, a way that I think honors her as he's pulling her out to to get to know him, to spend time with him, that he is actually doing a really, really important thing. He's saying, I'm interested. There's no confusion. There's no, I think... Like he's making it absolutely clear what his interests are and he is clarifying his intentions. See, the winter is past, verse 11. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Verse 14, he says, my dove in the clefts of the rock and the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He is pursuing here. It says he's bounding over the hills. Could you picture that? I don't know if he's like frolicking in the daisies, fellas. You are getting uncomfortable. You don't care who knows it. You went from this to like all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go and pursue love. That's what intimacy sometimes looks like is putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable. And I have seen so many godly Christian men. Okay. And and ladies, you got your problems too, but guys, guys, like I'm not telling you, you got to be like Casanova or you got to have all the right answers, but you can declare your intentions. You can actually pursue her in a way that honors both her and God in your life. And so many of us, we play these games and we hide behind text messages and social media posts rather than just pursuing and declaring our intentions and making it clear. I believe it's a bit of a biblical mandate for us to do that as a spiritual leader in that way. And I'm not telling you, ladies, that you can't lead spiritually sometimes or that God doesn't created you as a leader. I am telling the men, I've never seen a woman who doesn't want a guy that's pursuing her to make his intentions clear, that she can either accept or deny. And I, that's why, guys, you don't want to do it because you're fearful of rejection. But if you have God as your firm foundation, you know that if you get rejected, it doesn't matter because you didn't find your happiness and completion in her. See the difference? It takes all the pressure off of your shoulders. 
And that means sometimes for the married men, we have to continue to do the same thing, to not just see our wives as a piece of meat. Verse 14, look at that again with me. It said in verse 14, my dove in the clefts of the rock and the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Your voice is sweet. He's actually listening to what she's saying. And fellas, not like fake listening where the colts are on and you're like, "Uh uh-huh, oh yeah. Right, like he's actually listening to her. My wife will tell you, I fail at that all the time. Guys, I don't know why God made us this way. We get so directed and we get like an idea in our head and we're thinking about things at work and all this other stuff. And like actually to sit and listen to a person. What I've seen in counseling men and women over the years, uh, both people want emotional, physical, spiritual, all those thing connections. But for, for women especially, guys, like that emotional connection is, is really important. Being able to talk to one another, share companionship. And so I encourage you to do that. And here's the beautiful thing, that initiative that God is asking you to show is actually the initiative he has shown to you, that he has pursued you and pursued you and pursued you and loves you just as you are. The final thing I want to say is this. In verse 15, it will say, catch for me the foxes. And for some of us, you know what fox is. It comes in and steals something, takes it from you. The foxes in our lives are constantly taking things from us, including verse 15, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. By the way, vineyards is going to be kind of a euphemism for their sexual life, it, it, but it goes on our vineyards that are in bloom. And so what things in your life are spiritually destructive to your relationships? Right now, in your relationships, what things are spiritually destroyed? What are the foxes that are robbing you of a healthy dating or marriage life? And maybe it's one of the five things that I'll list up here. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your greed. Maybe it's lust. No fingers this morning. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but just an acknowledgement of that and a repentance of that means, God, I get to ask for forgiveness. That's the beauty of it. Maybe it's anger in your life. Maybe it's deception and lying. The reality is the enemy loves to use those things to rob us of the dating and healthy life that God had planned for us. John 10.10 says, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God is the one that actually made human beings in a way that you would have physical attraction for one another. He's the one that made that pleasurable. He's the one that put some of those emotional desires in your life in the first place. He desires to give you life abundantly. Stop allowing the enemy to rob you of that. And we do all the time. And the lust and the greed and the anger and the lies and the deception, the pride comes in and steals it. What if God this morning has been pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you and he's demonstrating how to pursue somebody knowing that he may get rejected, but he loves you enough to do it anyway. Men and women, may we respond and look to mirror that in our lives. And maybe for one person or 20 people this morning, you could just admit it for the first time. You could just admit you got a problem in this area. And the way you've been doing it is a bad idea. And it's time to allow God to begin to change that area of your life. Will you pray with me? God, um, we just come to you as we went through those five different healthy lessons that we could learn and those non-negotiables of dating, and the foxes that can come in and steal our relational happiness, God. We acknowledge that we have not been getting this right in our lives. 
We've lived for some of us the way that we've seen on TV or we've read about in magazines or we've listened to in music where it's about pursuits that you can get something from somebody else. And we've been living that way in our dating life and we've been living that way in our marriages and we just want to stop and say we're sorry. For the many of us in the room that just need to ask for forgiveness right now, will you do that right now? Whatever it is, maybe God's laid something on you that's been robbing you of actual spiritual pursuit in your life. And I'm not talking about what somebody else is doing. I'm talking about you. Like what is it in your life right now you just need to ask the Lord for forgiveness for? And I, well, let's do that together take this moment right now, not out loud, just quietly, just, just pray. If you're a Christian, just acknowledge that to him right now. God, we're, we are sorry. We are sorry for uh, what we've done in this area of our lives and to realize that we've, we've, we've failed many times. And so right now we ask for your forgiveness. May you make us new to begin to follow you in this area of our lives, that we see this not just as a physical thing, but a spiritual thing. And so we surrender everything to you. And then for some of us in the room right now, we want to begin this morning to not find our completion in another human being, but only in you. And so we are going to pray this silently to surrender our life to you fully, that you are our long-term mate that we're most concerned about. Pray this with me. God, I confess I need you. I want to find fulfillment in you and you alone, and I surrender everything in my life to you fully. Use me, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. Watch over us this morning. We pray this. And all God's family said, amen. (laughs) 